judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Welcome back. Oh, wow. February. I can't believe we're in February. It's nuts. That groundhog thing. It all happened already. <laughs> okay. So y'all have to know that before we started recording, I explained to Kim that like Groundhog Day is just like a load of crap that like whether he sees a shadow or not, it still equals six more weeks of I don't winter. I ever really knew. I just knew like we either had more winter or we didn't based on this random rodents prediction. <laughs> Rebecca is now telling me that it means the same thing either way. Yeah, it was either like six more weeks of winter or six weeks until spring, which is the same thing. Which is the same thing. So, what is everyone doing? Like, why are we bothering this road? Like, what what is happening? Why is there a day? <laughs> I don't understand. And it's actually pretty frustrating because I thought I thought this was a whole everything thing. you know, <laughs> which is like I want to Google it because I feel like you can't. I mean, maybe be right. What are they doing then? What are they doing? Uh, it's I capitalism i don't know they're not making money off of it so i don't know i was gonna say i'm like is there like a a groundhog's day like greeting card thing i don't know about i feel like it's just one of those things that some guy made up for his kids and then like they didn't believe it and then it became a thing i don't know i don't know yes like christmas hey kids boom (laughs) mic drop oh my gosh so first of all have you seen the film encanto i finally did see it and I absolutely loved it. Oh my God. So good. I read, so a lot of my things come from like social media, but I read this tweet beforehand that was like, how badly is this going to make me cry? Like someone asked, and then someone was All like, All the tears. It depends on how much of a black sheep you are in your family. And I was like, Facts, because I didn't cry, but I got very close. Okay. I guess I am the black sheep. So Maybe. I was like, balling. But also, I think there's like an extra level of connection for latinx viewers and mm-hmm. while i'm not latina myself like i i teach a course on latinas and so i'm like familiar with the culture yeah and so there's a lot of cultural things that like you know my sister watched it with my nephew and mm-hmm. they liked it but my nephew was like there were sometimes i didn't know what they were saying because they were speaking in spanish yeah. or i actually kind of like that i was like don't don't give me subtitles for it like yes you can infer a lot right by people's like emotions and like looks on their faces you can infer a lot of things right yeah i thought it was great i liked that um i had seen a tiktok see everything i know comes from other things there's a tiktok talking about a woman that they had work on it Ugh. i will i will share the yes! tiktok no i love that TikTok. i sent that to you right i or you sent it to me I, I don't know but i saw it i yes. know what you're talking about yeah. and like getting the woman to like do the hair mm-hmm. and like how the hair was so like sean we we turned on this the movie and he the one of the first things he said was like oh my god that hair is like amazing like the animation on yeah. that hair so like the i don't remember it's not the little boy, but his dad, Felix. Felix, yeah. He's got 4C hair, and that's my hair texture. You don't see 4C hair anywhere. And I'm pretty sure they had to like explain to some like animations person what 4C hair even was. But they did, before and getting it's out there. And I, oh. it's, it's amazing to me that they're like, it's Disney, did, right? Yeah. It's Disney and Pixar, they merged, right? Yeah, they're, they're owned by the same parent company. I feel like they're doing so much to like 
teach they're trying kids things they're yeah. trying there's and I mean, like, effort being made that was never made before because i said after i watched it i was like I got the Little Mermaid as a kid, which was like, hey, you like that dude? Do whatever you can to get him. You might lose your whole family, but like, it's cool. That's what I got as a kid. Now this one's like, hey, everyone in your family should love you. And if they don't, you need to speak up for yourself. Or another thing that I saw, a review that I read on Letterboxd for this movie was like, I totally got this movie because... I'm the only, me and my uncle are the only gay people in my family. This movie is about queer rights. And I was like, whoa to me it was the sisters right. and the sisterhood yes. like you know i'm a sucker for anything mm-hmm. sister related and there was so, a frozen reference in that too that i thought was funny i was like i wonder if rebecca got that i didn't i don't remember it i'll have to watch it, it again but yes. of course i, mean, I will yeah. but this the scene where louisa the oldest sister is like <gasps> yes like talking about the weight that she has to carry as the oldest that? sibling and i was just yeah. like oh my and of course her her power mm-hmm. is strength and lifting up any weight and so it just like the way that their powers aligned with what pressures they felt in the family Mm -hmm. and i feel like for maribel who didn't have a power it was like there wasn't this pressure this what like yeah she was left out in that sense but like she had her own role to play and yeah oh and even the fight between the middle sister and like isabella Mm -hmm. i think her name was Yes, and the, the yeah, pretty one with the flowers. The, well, I mean, they were all pretty, but yes. I, you know, no, I, think, I know you mean the one who was like known for being pretty, right? Yes. Yeah, the flower one. Mm-hmm. Um, like that whole battle between the sisters and not understanding one yeah. another when they finally came to that like understanding where the other one was coming from and and how like. Isabella acted a certain way because she felt like she had to put mm-hmm. on this persona to be accepted by her family. And yeah. it oh, oh my gosh. I love I it. And I the little it. boy, I mean, oh, oh my, my God, God Antonio. And I kept seeing all these um, TikToks of women who look like, what is it, Maribel? Maribel, no, yeah. Maribel. Like with the glasses and the brown, the curly hair, just like, um. But did you see the one it? of the little boy standing in front yes. of the TV? And I he love that one. Exactly mm-hmm. like Antonio. I was like, I love oh that. my gosh. Yes. I did like, like the, um, the oldest sister reminded me of my mom because my mom was very much like that. Like she's the oldest girl. And it was like, you set the example. Louisa? You need to be the, the st- yes. Okay. Like, you need to be the strongest person. You need to set the example. Because I'm an only child. So, like, I don't have those problems. But, like, I <laughs> could see it in other people. And I was just like, wow. Like, this is, look at Disney. Breaking generational thing, curses. Do it. The other thing I, well, that's it. The generational trauma really showed through in this mm-hmm. movie, right? Because the trauma that Abuela dealt with when yeah. she was fleeing from mm-hmm. the oppressors and lost her husband. Spoiler, but it it's revealed in the first few minutes. So it I don't is, feel yeah. like that's a big spoiler. You know, that generational trauma carried down to her children. And I love, there's this guy I follow on Instagram who, he's a TikTok guy to uh, TJ Therian, I think his name is. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he does a whole thing about like birth order mm-hmm. and like, oh, this is such an oldest child behavior and this is a middle child behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty exaggerated, but it's funny. Yeah. And someone asked him like, what was the birth order of the triplets? Because the, oh, the yeah, children... Oh, yeah, you don't technically know. I you guess. don't, but he was he he stated out what it was and I was like, he's spot on. So uh, Maribel's mother... Mm-hmm whose name is escaping me right now. Um, She's the oldest because she's the caregiver. She's the rule follower. Peppa, the middle one, 
Uh, well, he said she was the middle one because she was kind of the wild one, the one who did like whatever and rebelled against this and that. Like mm-hmm. she, you know, and then uh, Bruno was sort of the like on his own, does his thing like separate from the family, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like the way the youngest child is just sort of like no one on holds him. No one holds him to the same expectations as they do yeah. the oldest one. And I was like, he's totally right. Like if I were to birth order those three, like that's it. And oh. But I, nobody talks about Bruno. I did like that. And I did like the, um, the Aunt Sam, I don't know, the one that has like Pepper. the weather above her head. Yeah. But she has to be perfect all the time so it doesn't rain on everybody's parade. And I was just like, oh my God, like that's so, oh, they're do- they're so doing it. And, and I, I do so appreciate perfect. that they dealt with the cousin. Again, her name is escaping me. The The cousin who could hear everything. Yes. I was like, wait, why didn't she just tell everyone Bruno was in the walls? Like, mm-hmm. if she can hear everything. But she was like, I, I did hear him. But, like, you know, like, she just didn't feel like she could say something yeah. or she wasn't sure what or who she was hearing. Mm-hmm. So they did a- at least address that. Because I was like, this girl can hear anything. Like, why didn't she hear there was a guy living in the wall? <laughs> also, she's minding her business. I guess, yeah. She also, maybe she thought it was the rats. I think she's like the rats whisper. She said that at some point. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh. Anyway, mm. such a good movie. If any of you all have not watched it yet, it's on Disney Plus. Yeah. It is so worth it. I'm going to watch it again just to see like like I watched it the first time just for fun and now mm-hmm. I want to watch it to analyze it. Yeah. I wonder if we can like maybe do an episode on the abuela. Yeah. I feel like yeah, we could maybe do something with that. Anyway, <clears throat> we're doing something totally different this week. Absolutely. I mean, like <laughs> I don't know how much different we can get in terms of a segue. Mm. Here we go. (laughs) In this episode, we're going to be discussing Mary Malone. And Mary Malone was an Irish-born American cook who is commonly referred to as Typhoid Mary. She earned this nickname because it's believed that she spread typhoid fever to dozens of people throughout New York City. We will then talk about the public perception of Malone. Malone? Malone. Malone. Of Malone by addressing some of the infections that she she was thought to have caused her arrest and her decade long isolation. We'll then dig a little deeper into what it means that she was a healthy carrier and how the health technology at the time affected how she was treated. But we'll also look at how other healthy carriers from that time were treated and what differentiated them from Malone. Finally, we will address the overall impact that Malone's situation had on the medical world and beyond. Mary Malone, born September 23rd, 1869. As we mentioned, she was an Irish-born American cook. She's commonly been referred to as Typhoid Mary throughout history. she not have a middle name? It wasn't given. Damn it. Sally. Um, (laughs) This nickname and her big reputation came from the fact that it is believed that she infected over 50 people with typhoid fever and at least three of those people had died. She is the first recorded asymptomatic carrier of salmonella type or typhoid fever. An interesting thing to consider in the times that we're living in now, uh, you know, because remember, folks, asymptomatic does not mean you're not contagious. What do you mean? What times? Yeah. Um, it's completely normal here. This is 2022. It's COVID is still happening. That's over. That was only 2020. Oh, we're good. Yeah. Now. Okay. So <laughs> it's 2022. It's 2022. <laughs> and um yes 
It's still happening. I know. It's winter. Wear your mask. It keeps your face warm. It keeps germs off people. Just wear a mask and shut up. And honestly, even if you have glasses, there are ways you can do it without them fogging up. I've been doing it for two years. You tuck the glasses under, you tuck the mask under the glasses. Yeah. For the most part, that will work. Yeah. Because I wear sunglasses. I... I have perfect 2020 vision. Sorry. Get out of here. Goodbye. Uh, sorry. But I don't like squinting, so I wear sunglasses whenever it's sunny, and like they fog up, but you tuck it underneath and you're good. Yeah. It's important to note also that while she was the first to be identified, recorded, and charted, there were many more asymptomatic carriers that came after her. Due to the lack of hand-washing hygiene at the time and her work as a cook, she ended up exposing others to the disease. She was quarantined twice by authorities. And when we talk about quarantining, we're not talking about 10 days. We're talking about a total of almost 30 years. Does the CDC know about this? (laughs) I wonder if they were even a thing then. When was the CDC created? Because I didn't see any mention of any CDC. Maybe this is how it was created. They're like, listen, we got to do better. Well, Malone was first apprehended in 1907 and held until 1910. In 1909, she actually sued for her own release, but was denied by the New York courts. It wasn't until 1910, with the appointment of the new health commissioner, that she was released. He actually unilaterally decided that they had held her long enough and freed her. She was arrested yet again in 1915 after an outbreak was chased back to the kitchen she was working in. She remained there until her death. The last two and a half decades of her life were spent in isolation at Riverside Hospital on the North Brother Island. It's a small island between mainland Bronx and Rikers Island. But if you watch Broad City, it's also where Abby has to go pick up that package for her hot neighbor. (laughs) Okay. Did you watch Broad City? I did not. That was the one that I told you that like... You feel like you're too old for it. I felt like I was too old for it. Yeah. It's good. I I didn't get it. I mean, I watched an episode or two and Mm. it just didn't click with me. It's all good. That's fine. I appreciate your choice not to watch a TV show. (laughs) Listen, I I don't appreciate your choice, but I accept your choice. Do you? Yeah. Do you? Listen, I'm not the one bugging you about it anymore. Malone suffered a stroke in 1932 and died of pneumonia in 1938 at age 69. Her body was cremated and her ashes are located at St. Raymond Cemetery in the Bronx. Apparently only nine people attended the funeral, but, you know, I suppose that's what, like, you know, decades of forced isolation will do to you. It's really sad. It is, but we should yeah. go there sometime. It's like... like to her, the cemetery. Her, she didn't have a grave, right? No. Well, the ashes are located there. I bet there's something there to mark it. That you can, like, leave some flowers at. Where is this? At the Bronx. I'm not going to the Bronx. <laughs> 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 Goodbye. <laughs> Do you know how far the Bronx is? Anyway, let's not talk about geography. Let's talk about typhoid. What exactly is typhoid? Well, typhoid or typhoid fever is a disease caused by the Salmonella serotype typhi bacteria. It's only known to infect and replicate within human hosts. In the mid-19th century, scientists first distinguished this disease from typhus, which was another infectious disease that was causing public health problems in the U.S., especially in cities with untreated water running through the pipes. Ew. Typhoid is a water and foodborne bacteria infection, and symptoms can vary and even manifest anywhere between a week or a month after exposure. It's usually spread by eating or drinking food or water contaminated with feces of an infected person. So wash your hands, motherfuckers. Yeah. Wash your hands. Ugh. Ew. Yeah. So some of the symptoms may include sustained fever, 
headache, discomfort or weakness, gastrointestinal problems, more often constipation over diarrhea, abdominal pains, vomiting, skin rashes, and in really severe cases, confusion. But like minus the fever and the vomiting, it just sounds like being over 30. (laughs) Um, This is my life. I'm sorry for your constipation. (laughs) (laughs) It happens when I eat cheese. Stop eating cheese. I love cheese. Yeah, but cheese doesn't love you. It doesn't hate me. There actually were many mild cases of typhoid, but before the creation and distribution of antibiotics in the 1930s, the fatality rate for the disease was about 10%. And even in mild cases, symptoms could last weeks or even months. The disease is still around, and although diagnostic tools have improved, they're limited in regions where typhoid is most common today. Other hardships in the battle against typhoid include time required for a proper diagnosis, resistance to antibodies, and the cost of testing, especially in healthcare systems with fewer resources. But there is a vaccine, and it's strong enough to prevent up to 90% of cases during the first two years from when it's taken. So if you're at high risk or you may be traveling to areas where the disease is more common, get the vaccine. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Get the vaccine. Everyone, you can take that out. That's very... No. That's very aggressive. blue state of me. Um, while it can be treated with antibiotics, the resistance to them is increasing, and they may or may not be effective. Typhoid is most common in children, and while typhoid did decrease in countries like the U.S. beginning in the 1940s as a result of improved sanitation and the development of antibiotics, there's still about 400 reported cases each year in the U.S., and it is estimated that 6,000 people carry the disease in this country. Worldwide, the World Health Organization estimates between 128,000 and 161,000 people die each year from typhoid. But sure, let's put all the blame on one lonely Irish immigrant in the early 20th century. Okay, so when we talk about Mary Malone, I think one of the things we really need to address is who she infected, Mm. right? Um, And honestly, uh, different sources have the numbers varying quite drastically, right? As we mentioned previously, she's thought to have infected over 50 people, but some sources put that number at over 120 people. And when it comes to death, she's been connected with the fatalities of anywhere between three and 50 people. One of the reasons that it's so hard to pinpoint the exact numbers is because Malone was not willing to cooperate with health officials. Between 1900 and 1907, Malone worked as a cook for a number of different families in the New York City area. Seven of the eight families contracted typhoid. Honestly, like that is one thing about Malone that I think we do need to acknowledge is that she wasn't great at listening to scientists and science and sort of following that. Mm -hmm. Um, I still think that her big reputation is at least moderately unwarranted, but it is important to recognize that she didn't necessarily follow all the science at the time. So let's talk about these these families. So one uh, one family was a resident of Maranac, New York where within two weeks of Malone being hired, people developed typhoid fever, and this was in 1900. I'm glad you picked that one to say, because I would never have been able to pronounce this. Mamaronek? Yeah, I would have been like, Mamaronek. <laughs> <laughs> New York City, baby. That's like the far, that's like yeah, Syracuse that's... or whatever. It, then in 1901, she worked for a family in Manhattan. Members of this family developed fevers and diarrhea, which, again, was not a common typhoid symptom, if we remember when you were listing them off before, but it did happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And the laundress at this family died. 
Next up was the family of a lawyer. Malone. Are you sure it's Malone? I feel like it's Malone. Ah, I, you know what? I don't know. Hold on. Let's, let's double check it because like I said Malone just because to me that was easier, but like, you're right. The spelling does make it seem like mm-hmm. it's Malone. So hold on everybody. Okay. We're back. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was wrong. It is not Malone. It is Malin. So we apologize for all the previous mispronunciations, yes. but Mary Malin. And I was right. You were. All when it comes life. to pronunciation, I'm really proud of you. Wow. <laughs> the shade that's implied behind that. It wasn't implied. It was straight up. Oh, <laughs> love you. Sean, put in that slamming door of me leaving right now. Love you. Mean it. <laughs> anyway, yes, Malin. So Malin. She was working at a house for a family of lawyers. And that wasn't a family of lawyers. It was just one guy. <laughs> Could you imagine? She just oh, worked God. at a law firm. <laughs> a little briefcase where she carried her salmonella. A briefcase full of salmonella. Yeah. So she was working for a family. Um, but she left after about seven of the people in the household became ill. I mean, but but same. Like, honestly, like, if I were working somewhere and people were getting sick and i wasn't i'd be like peace out y'all i'm gone yeah. like because i would want to avoid it and it would Absolutely. just make sense to leave and i wasn't sick so yeah and you're like well it's only a matter of time before i'm gonna get this thing so i should probably like peace out also everyone here is dead who am i cooking for <laughs> like i need a new job i don't think they all died but like no. they could they yeah, could exactly. right well, i mean they weren't they weren't worried about a cook i guess maybe they were I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, they didn't pick it up for a few more years. Because in 1904, Mallon was hired by another lawyer, Henry Gilsey. And within a week, the laundress there had typhoid. Look, I mean, it's I feel like it's laundress. like, let's blame it on the laundry ladies. <laughs> They're washing around all the stuff. Well, she, she had typhoid. And soon after, half of the remaining servants were ill. The family did not become infected, though, since the servants lived in their own house. No, mm. um, and the assumption here was that the laundress had caused the outbreak, but there was never any hard evidence of that. Yeah. So Mary left again, but this time she went to work for George Kessler in Tuxedo Park in Orange County, New York. Within two weeks, the laundress was infected and hospitalized. I mean, like, like seriously, I really hate doing laundry. Yeah. This would definitely swear me off that I'd be <laughs> like, nope, nope, not going to do any laundry. I will get the typhoid. <laughs> Then in 1906, Mary began working for the family of Charles Henry Warren, a wealthy New York banker. She went with them to their summer house in Oyster Bay as their cook. Within a few weeks, half the people of the house had typhoid fever. Multiple doctors who practiced in the area claim that this was unusual for the area during this time, you know, because the disease was generally affiliated with poverty and filth, and they don't have any of that in Oyster Bay. Oh, no. No. Of course not. The landlord for this rental was kind of freaked out. He had all these water samples tested, but they all came back negative. Yeah, because he was like, well, shit, how am I going to rent out this house if people think they can get typhoid when they come here? Right? That's not good for... uh real estate development or whatever. <laughs> Later that year, Mallon was hired by Walter Bowen. He and his family lived on Park Avenue in New York City. Shortly after, the maid came down with typhoid. Warren's daughter also contracted the disease and she died. It was actually this final case that helped identify that Mary might be the source of the infections. So enter George Soper. Soper 
again, hoping I pronounce this correctly. It's uh, not super. No. Because there's no you. Soper, who was a sanitation engineer, had actually been hired by Warren after the Oyster Bay outbreak. And he was trying to figure out why this poor people's disease was affecting wealthy families. Because, like, poor people. Ugh. <laughs> because, you know, of course, like, outbreaks generally occurred in unsanitary environments. And unsanitary was clearly an indicator of poverty, not wealth. Not me starting to root for the disease to get rid of these, like, rich assholes. <laughs> Seriously, like, let's bring it in. No. It's a whole nother kind of eat the rich. <laughs> but, yeah. But, I mean, honestly, in, in the case of, like, the young girl who died, like, if she yeah. was an innocent bystander. It's not her fault. No, not right? at all. After Soper determined that Malin was likely the cause, he worked to understand Malin's involvement in the deaths and hospitalizations of these people she had been in contact with. When he attempted to take samples, generally it would be urine or stool. To see if Melon was carrying the bacteria, she would either hide in her house or flee from Soper. Because, you know, some strange man coming in and asking for your samples of your shit is like kind <laughs> like of Like literally. Like, like, hey, knock, 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 knock. Can I just get some of your shit? I just need to take a sample. I just want to test it. It's fine. It's and good. she was probably just like, oh my God, no. Creep. Sir, get away from me. <laughs> Who are you? No, thanks. So some historians believe that even though she was not sick, she had had she had some idea that she was carrying the bacteria because of her unwillingness to talk to him. Listen, I, I'm not sure that I agree with this, though, because, yeah. like, again, this strange man coming around claiming that he needed to collect samples from me to see if I have inadvertently killed people like I'd be suspicious as well. Exactly. Like, why would she trust this guy who's also looking to pin a bunch of murders on her or deaths? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, even if it's unintentional, like, yeah. still like, oh, it's your fault. And there are ethical questions behind her arrest. Mm -hmm. You know, historians debate the extent to which she was complacent in spreading the disease. Many suggest that she knew she was spreading typhoid to her clients based on the frequency with which the disease was present at the time of her departure from each home. And, and honestly, like, again... Yeah, there's clearly some, like, a lack of understanding of the science here. Yeah. She's one of those low-skill workers that the mayor's always talking I about. I was thinking that, and I was just I think like, I put that somewhere. Mm. I don't even know if I did, but... You probably did, because he's I was getting jerk. ragey. <laughs> but remember, antibiotics were not available at this time, and since a number of individuals who had contracted the disease died, their deaths would be seen as murder by Malin especially if she knew she was a carrier, thus justifying her arrest. Others argue that she was completely unaware that she carried the bacteria and therefore her arrest was unjust as she never committed a crime. You have to remember at this time, asymptomatic carriers were not really a thing or at least not a thing that people understood. Yeah, I mean, clearly they've always been around now really no a lot of people don't understand like there's somebody who literally said like, oh yeah, I tested positive for COVID, but don't worry, I'm asymptomatic. And it wasn't to me. Someone was telling me this yeah. story. And I was like, yeah, but you do understand that asymptomatic doesn't equal not contagious, mm -hmm. right? Like, in fact, you're probably more dangerous. Yeah. It's, I think it's just so funny that we we discussed covering her, not before COVID, but like before this like recent uptick in like cases. Yeah, the Omicron like, stuff. This is just life imitating art, imitating life, if you will. Anyway. Under sections 1169 and 1170 of the Greater New York Charter, Malin was arrested as a public health threat. 
She was forced into an ambulance by five policemen and Dr. Josephine Baker, who at some point actually sat on her to restrain Moan. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, Dr. Josephine Baker's brother and father died of typhoid. So she probably felt really connected to this case. Uh, she's actually pretty interesting. Maybe we should cover her. Yeah, we can check her out for sure. So Malin is arrested and she's thrown into quarantine. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of like ethical questions behind her quarantine. Yeah. So Malin claims that she never felt ill. She didn't look sick or have any sort of visible sickness. We now understand that the disease was living dormant inside of her. And while doctors were changing their minds throughout her quarantine as to where the disease was in her body, it is generally assumed that she, it was in her gallbladder. Yeah. On March 19th, 1907, Malin was sentenced to quarantine on North Brother Island. In her words, when I first came here, they took two blood cultures and feces went down three times per week, say Monday, Wednesday and Friday until the latter part of June. After that, they only got the feces once a week, which was on Wednesday. When I first came here, I was so nervous and almost prostrated with grief and trouble. So, like, that's at least three months of collecting mm -hmm. and testing her feces three times a week. like And, like, not really giving her any feedback, just, like, coming. And that's probably the only time she saw people, too. Yeah, I like, to what degree this isolation, like, yeah, I, yeah. it's a lot. So, what did the labs show from these samples? Well, they revealed that Malin was an intermittent carrier of typhoid fever. That means that sometimes she had it and sometimes she didn't. Right. In fact, repeatedly over this time, Malin's feces contains zero traces of typhoid. There's even evidence that the reports were negative over the course of 12 consecutive examinations between mid-September and mid-October of 1907. But, you know, we have to hold out for that 13th one to make sure. It's the 13th reason. <laughs> Over 28 months of testing, 119 of the 162 cultures from the stool samples tested positive. 43 of them were negative. Her urine consistently tested negative. Yeah, I mean, just those numbers alone, like clearly she had it. Clearly she was a carrier. Mm -hmm. Clearly this was an issue, but she wasn't someone who was always yeah, spreading the disease. <laughs> Digging a little bit deeper into this, you know, one thing we know for certain about Mary Mallon is that she was asymptomatic, mm. right? And unfortunately, that's a word we're quite familiar with in the present day. Again, as we mentioned before, asymptomatic does not mean not contagious. It just means that you're not showing any physical signs of having the illness. Yeah, she was, in fact, the first known and trace asymptomatic carrier. They refer to her as a healthy carrier. Yeah. Mary herself never believed that she was a carrier at all. She even went as far as to have separate samples tested by an independent lab in New York. With help of a friend, she was able to send these samples out for testing by a third party that was not responsible for her isolation. All of those samples apparently came back negative. This only further fueled Malin's belief that she was not at fault at all. So I, I think it's also important that we talk a little bit about health technology at the mm -hmm. time. Right. So first of all, the germ theory of disease was not fully accepted yet at this time. The prevailing theory of the time was the miasma theory. And I, like I had to look this up because I was like, yeah, I was what? Like, Explain it to me like I'm five. <laughs> yeah. Well, it suggested that diseases were caused by a noxious form of bad air that came from rotting organic matter. And, and honestly, to me, all this shows is that science is an ever developing field. Yeah. 
While some of the practices under the miasma theory did help curb the spread of disease, you know, things like cleaning up wastes in cities, there was clearly more to it that scientists discovered later. Anyway, because the germ theory of disease was not widely accepted, practices such as hand washing were not that common, and Mary was no exception. She didn't wash her hands regularly, and yes, as we mentioned, she was a cook. Gross. Yeah. So I want to go slightly off topic for a second. Okay. Um, but it's, it's off topic, on topic. It's medical. I'm ready. So there's a hospital in Vienna and had two different maternity wards. One was staffed by doctors and medical students, and the other one was staffed by midwives. And at the time, these women were dying all over the case, staggering numbers, um, shortly after giving birth. It was called childbed fever. Okay. It caused fevers, uh, painful abscess, infections in the uterus and the birth canal, sepsis, and then finally death. Uh, that would all happen with about three days after the, the baby was born. Wow. Yeah. So it was the single most common cause of maternal death at the time. Well, can I ask you when? Like, when was this? So this happened in like the mid 19th century. Okay. So just like a little before Malone's situation, mm -hmm. but uh, a lot more extreme. Yeah. So one of the doctors was like, what is up with this? And like started an investigation. So his results showed that women were dying at a nearly five times higher rate in the ward staffed by doctors and medical students than the midwives. Hmm. So they were just like, this is just a woman's disease. But then one of the male doctors died of this childbed fever. So they started digging a little bit more, you know, because it wasn't just a women's issue I was going to say, so when a man got it, then they actually cared to find out the answer? Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> and that's how it should be. I'm kidding. It shouldn't at all. I um, All these women here. were dying and no one cared until the dude died. Um, but anyway, so it turns out that the med students and the doctors were doing autopsies and then going to deliver babies without washing their hands. Ew. So they're transmitting all this bacteria to the mothers and killing them. And like I say cool, all that cool, to cool, say, cool, 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 yeah, I say all that to say that like this has been a problem. Um, hand washing was super uncommon, not just in America, but like all over the place. So the doctor who discovered this was Inaz Semmelweis. Okay, and he was like, "You guys need to wash your hands." And there was a lot of pushback, and they were like, "You're crazy, ha ha ha." And then they were like, "Hmm, maybe let's let's just try it." And then people stopped dying, like. It's so funny now because like it's the most common thing. Like it's the first thing the you first do. thing you think of when you're like, how do I not spread disease? Mm -hmm. Wash my hands. Yeah. And when you think about like I'm just thinking of like Grey's Anatomy when they like scrub up for surgery, it's like intense. And you like, literally don't even touch the door yeah. to go in because mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So like it's been a problem for like a while. So if people are like, How could she not wash her hands? No one did. Yeah. No one well, did. Well, exactly. Yeah. And also, there were no antibiotics at this time, mm -hmm. right? Uh, remember, they weren't created till a few years later. So they couldn't help fight the infection if someone had typhoid fever. And the removal of the gallbladder at that time was extremely dangerous and often fatal. Mm. So it wasn't something that Malin was willing to risk, especially because doctors kept changing their mind about where her typhoid originated. They were like, oh, maybe it's in this intestine. Maybe it's in your gallbladder. Maybe it's here. And it's like... How many organs are you going to take out before you exactly. decide? Because I could absolutely see. I mean, like, if you think about it now, like the CDC has changed their mind about a lot of things. Because but as they're you learning get more and discovering. Exactly, as you get more information about things, like you change your patterns. Mm -hmm. So you have to, right? But like, what if it would have been like, hey, it's your gallbladder. Actually, it's not. But we took that out. It's this part of your body. Okay, we're going to do more surgery. I could absolutely see why she would be like, hey, no, we're not starting this. Yeah. You're not taking anything out of me. 
Yeah, but there are other solutions, I would argue. Yes. So Mary indicated that medical professionals had tried a number of different things to cure her typhoid fever. So not just surgery. Yeah, among the things that they tried were laxatives and brewer's yeast. So, you know, super medical there. Malone resisted. She said, at first I did not take it, for I am a little afraid of the people, and I have a good right. For when I came to the department, they said the bacteria were in my track. Later, they said they were in the muscles of my bowels. And later, they thought of the gallbladder. So, like, again, like, this mm-hmm. is this is in Malin's own words. Yeah. Like, it's not shocking that she was convinced they didn't know what they were doing. Again, we in the 21st century understand that they were learning and trying to work through exactly. this process. But to have one individual such as Malin be your guinea pig for this is uh, a bit much. Yeah. So it was probably a good thing that she rejected having gallbladder surgery. Apparently in 1921, the Department of Health were tracing five carriers who agreed to have the surgery and none of those surgeries were successful in ridding the carriers of typhoid. Right. So So, like they took it out for no reason. Yeah. Great. Good, Mm -hmm. good, good. Malin was far from the only healthy carrier or asymptomatic carrier that was identified during the first part of the 20th century. This is the part that makes me rage so much like... I just want you all to keep an ear out on the names that we're about to mention. Like Tony? Tony LaBella? Yeah. Tony LaBella was an Italian immigrant who was suspected of causing over 100 cases with at least five deaths. Anybody remember Tony LaBella? You know, everybody always talking about, oh, watch out for Tony LaBella. Like, you've heard of Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Tony. (laughs) I know all about him. Typhoid Tony, right? Well, yeah, I mean, there was someone with a typhoid name, right? That was Typhoid John. Oh, okay. Um, kind of. So he was a mountain guide. He was given this nickname. I, I don't know by who, because I've never heard it before. Um, but he was suspected of infecting at least 36 people and causing two deaths. Again, no one's heard of Typhoid John, right? No. Like, it's just Typhoid Mary. That's the only name we remember. Um, patriarchy? Just saying. Could that be it? Just saying. There was another man who, uh, I couldn't find his name in my research, but uh, who reportedly caused an outbreak of 87 cases and two deaths in New York and another 35 cases and three deaths in New Jersey. So you can add up those numbers. Mm -hmm. That's um, 122 cases and five deaths. But rather than imprison him for repeat violations, health officials simply added him to a list of carriers and remarked, This carrier is now employed in this city as a laborer in building construction work and is required to report to us weekly. Again, no, like, I don't have his name, but it was a man. I mean, like, what the actual fuck? Yeah. Like, they put that woman in solitary confinement and this dude got probation for committing death crimes state to state. Yeah. Like, where was the FBI? Where, was the FBI around? Like, I mean, it's a federal crime, I'm exactly. sure. Exactly. Like, that's just kind of nuts that they're like, mm, we'll keep an eye on him. Like, he killed so many people. And I mean, if you want to say, like, he killed people because of his negligence. Right. Maybe no one should, okay, like, no one should have been imprisoned, right? Right, right. You so, know. like, she shouldn't be in prison either. Neither should he. But, like, why, why are the treatments different? But, well, okay. I mean, one more example that I want to share is from someone who is in a similar situation Mm -hmm. to Malin. And this was a bakery owner named Alfonso Cotels, I think is how you say it. Um, Anyway, uh, Alfonso Cotels was identified as a healthy carrier as well. And he was working with food, Mm -hmm. right? So that's very similar to Mary's situation. And um, I found this article, like, 
the New York Times has these archives. So there was a, a headline from 1924 that really kind of sums it up. Typhoid carrier freed. Kotal's promises to remain away from his restaurant. He sounds trustworthy. Mm, yeah. Well, guess what? What? Pretend to be shocked now because he broke his promise. Oh, no. His promises were broken. <laughs> he was actually sentenced mm. after the, the violation. However, while the judge acknowledged the danger that Kotal's posed, he claimed that he could not legally jail him, quote, on account of his health. AKA he was an asymptomatic carrier. Yeah. That that doesn't make sense. Like make yeah, it make I sense. Because Malin was still being held against her will at this time. Yeah. Like literally this is happening while she is in isolation. But what about her health? No, no, no. She's just a woman. Yeah. So this whole time Mary's like in isolation still. So clearly if she had just been walking around the city. She would never pose a threat to anybody's health. Right. Yeah. Like just, just walking around existing. Sure. Yeah. If she had worked in any other occupation besides being a cook, she would have certainly decreased her chances in spreading the disease. Yeah. And I do know that was like something they told her to do at one mm -hmm. point. But like. Did they like help with that? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All that it would have taken would have been to help uh, provide some training classes or any other profession, but there is no evidence that health officials tried to retrain her or teach her any new skills until the final year of her isolation, which at that point, it's perhaps just a little bit too late. Yeah, honestly. The health officials were too focused on how they could kill the bacteria. Mm -hmm. Instead, if they had focused on how to decrease the chances of infection, they could have prioritized hand washing and proper training for a new profession. Yeah. Right? Sort of this like, look, if you can just do A and B, you won't need to be here. Hmm. I mean, Malin was literate and she was energetic. She could have easily picked up the skills she needed to do a different job. But it's about education. Education both about the disease and how to use her skills elsewhere. Now, to be fair, Malin was opposed to like just agreeing to hand washing and so on. But hmm. I think if framed in the right context, it could yeah. have she they might have had better success. Even though New York's health officials developed new standards for handling healthy carriers, they still somehow continued to justify Mary's isolation, which doesn't make sense. But they didn't insist on the same treatment for other uncooperative healthy carriers as we have seen. Yeah. You know, perhaps they were just trying to make an example out of her to discourage others from disregarding authorities on the subject. But who knows? Yeah, honestly. They emphasized her negative character traits over the fact that she was carrying the disease. Right. And so in the words of Dr. Sarah Josephine Baker, the physician who first admitted Malin to the hospital in 1907, Malin was a destroying angel whose own behavior inevitably led to her doom. She never listened to reason. She was constitutionally incapable of believing all this mystery about germs. Baker insisted that the only solution was, quote, to keep Malin in the custody of the department out of contact with other people's food. I mean, yes, but... Yeah. I mean, there is a way in which they could have educated her about her situation, mm -hmm. as we mentioned before. Yeah, but she was, she was a cook. Like, being a cook was literally her bread and butter. Right. But I think that she would have been open to getting a new job if given the option. It, not just the option, but the training. Because, again, yeah. I do think at one point she was given the option and to become a laundress, but, mm -hmm. like, she didn't know how to do that. And... 
the amount of money she could make off True. of being a cook was more than being a laundress. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to look just beyond her gender in terms of her isolation, though. Mm -hmm. Right? The guidelines for watching over chronic carriers of the disease stated that they, quote, need not be retrained in hospitals or institutions if not desired. They'll be sent home if conditions are satisfactory. Yeah, but like, what does satisfactory mean? That's like pretty unclear. Yeah. I mean, however, the health department did know the family must be intelligent and willing to carry out the rules of the Department of Health. Like this, above all things, gives me the Mayor Adams vibes, like mm -hmm. when he's talking about low skilled workers. I mean, facts like he's also bringing back solitary confinement. So what? Yeah, that's Aww. a thing. I don't know if like for our non-New York listeners, our mayor is a piece of shit. Um, and the other day he referenced uh workers as low he work what did he say he was like he was talking cooked. about how yeah. the bosses needed to teach their employees about how covid could be spread yes and and he's like our low skill workers mm -hmm. don't like but he was like, about it or something he's like you're dunkin donuts you're you're cooks you're i don't know if he said bartenders but he it said, was like, restaurant workers restaurant for workers sure. these are low skilled workers who like don't understand like, they just something. don't get it yeah that's like what he said. They, so oh he said something about like them not being able to work in corner offices or something yes i'll share it Ugh. i'll find it and share it unfortunately Ugh. but also he's, he's he's just a piece of shit like i don't i didn't vote for him i didn't vote for him did so. not did not. um but yeah that does give me Mayor Adams vibes. Totally, right? You know? Like, oh, they must be intelligent and willing to carry out the rules of the Department of Health. Mm. Like, well, if they were just smart enough to get it, then it would be fine. We wouldn't have to confine them. Mm -hmm. Ugh. They're too stupid to help themselves, so we have to lock them away. Yeah, and honestly, all these statements were likely anyway intentionally vague mm -hmm. because it would leave room for health officials to make their decisions around social factors as well as lab results. So, mm -hmm. you know, positive lab results and rich, go home, you've got this. Positive lab results and poor, I don't know, you, you probably need to be institutionalized. In other words, the authorities could differentiate between someone like Mary, who they didn't trust to act in the public's best interest, and other healthy carriers whose living conditions and or attitudes gave them the impression that they would better comply with the rules. This was clearly about Malin's social class, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in fact, George Sopert, remember him, the one who discovered that she was a carrier? Well, he made disparaging remarks about cooks and their overall cleanliness, <coughs> Mayor Adams, mm -hmm. um, as a group, right? Of course, he didn't intend to lock up all of New York's cooks because, you know, like, how would he, someone of a higher social class, eat? I think about that. I hope that Mayor Adams never has a good meal in New York City. I hope his food is salty. I hope his hot coffee is lukewarm. I hope it's terrible for him. Terrible. Well, that's all right. He lives in New Jersey, doesn't he? JK. <laughs> that was a rumor. That was a rumor. That was yes. a rumor. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was all intended to speak poorly of people who were, you know, like I said, as the current mayor puts it, low-skilled workers. Mm-hmm. Officials also brought up her apparent rejection of gender norms as part of the justification for isolating her. You know, yeah, like you, you know, do. You're not women enough. Yeah. So, no, seriously, apparently they argued things like the determined set of her jaw and her masculine mind. 
And the way you mean she, she could think, so she had a masculine mind. Yes, she had opinions. She was a mouthy bitch with opinions, and oh. nobody likes those people. How dare! <laughs> so, and they even used the way that she walked as a reason to justify the way they treated her. As the New York World Telegram put it, Malin quote was not imbued with that sweet reasonableness which would have allowed her to listen to the explanations of learned men about her particular case. So, like, she was too much of a man to listen to a man? She wasn't sweet enough to just do what they said. Mm, Yeah, but, like, at the same time, other men aren't being isolated? Like, suspicious AF. Well, that's their right as a man. Oh, right, yes, She didn't have the right to do that. How dare. Yeah. And what about her status as an Irish immigrant in the early 20th century? Yeah. Yeah. The Irish were labeled as second-class citizens at the time. I'm guessing this had a little something to do with things, too. Exactly. So it's not just Mary's gender. It's also her social class and her ethnicity that came into play into her treatment. Absolutely. And all of this clearly ties into one of our favorite explanations for the reality behind the big reputations of many women, the patriarchy. Hmm. Or what about my other favorite? Capitalism. Oh, yeah. Capitalism. Yeah. Mary had to work to survive. She was trained as a cook. She knew how to cook. And working in that role earned her more money than she would at any other job, especially as a laundress, which is what they tried to make her do. Right. You know, uh, she did not have a home of her own. Remember, she lived where she worked with Mm -hmm. each of her former jobs. And so she was always on the verge of poverty. So she was driven to do what she thought she needed to do in order to survive. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if we talk about the impact of Mary Mallon or Typhoid Mary, as she's known, I think one of the things we really have to investigate is this idea of bacteriology. Now, bacteriology is the study of bacteria. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, right? (laughs) But also the study of bacteria and their relation to medicine. It was developed around the same time as the germ theory was coming into the forefront in the 19th century. Bacteriology has led to medical advancements, especially in the area of vaccines. And it was actually a bacteriologist, Alexander Fleming, who discovered penicillin. Without bacteriology, Mary would have remained unknown. Her circumstances taught health officials more about typhoid and how bacteria worked in the human body than any of the impersonal lab findings they had conducted up until that point. Her rejection of scientific claims and explanations for her situation posed a dilemma for health authorities. One that, shockingly, or not, we're dealing with today with COVID. Basically, health officials realized that they would have to try and solve public health problems through considerations that took into account laboratory findings and personal and social characteristics, especially when confronted with citizens who would not cooperate with their regulations. Ugh, can relate. Yeah, I wish we couldn't, but we can. (laughs) So Malone's significance as an asymptomatic or healthy carrier also serves as a reminder that scientific revolutions, such as the one that began with the creation of bacteriology, have roots in previous scientific theories, methods, and standards. In other words, we learn from what came before. Absolutely. Mary's battle with public health officials was a win. Sort of. Sort of. (laughs) Uh, She paid a heavy personal price, but she did make her point. She was wrongfully isolated. New public health theorists learned from her and other healthy carriers they later worked with that laboratory findings needed to be moderated with socially sensitive policies. That is, carrying the disease did not determine that the disease would be spread. 
there were certain practices that could be upheld to allow carriers to live, quote unquote, normal lives. In a 2013 article from the Annals of Gastroenterology, the authors concluded their research by stating, quote, the history of Mary Mallon declared unclean, like a leper, may give us some moral lessons on how to protect the ill and how we can be protected from illness. By the time she died in New York, health officials had identified more than 400 other healthy carriers of salmonella typhi, but no one else was forcibly confined or victimized as an unwanted ill. Milton Rosenau and Charles V. Chapin, both public health officials at the time, advocated for retraining carriers, including Mary, to allow them to find jobs outside the food industry rather than indefinite isolation. One more thing I wanted to bring up in terms of the impact of Malin was on pop culture. Mm. I mean, I think a lot of people have heard of Typhoid Mary, and uh, many people might not even know her real name being Mary Malin. Yeah, I didn't, for sure. I mean, we pronounced it wrong the first <laughs> third of True. this episode. Because we never heard it anywhere, because it's always just been like Typhoid Mary, and that's like disrespectful. Yeah. But there is a, a pop culture reference I wanted to bring up. There's actually a fictional character named Typhoid Mary Fisk from the Marvel Comics world. And she's a supervillain who's also known simply as Bloody Mary or Mutant Zero. Like, hmm. think Patient Zero, the originator of the disease, right? Uh, she's been the enemy of Daredevil, Spider-Man, and Deadpool. She's the second wife of Kingpin, Wilson Fisk. Um, for anybody who doesn't read comics but maybe watch the Daredevil show. Vincent D'Onofrio. Or um, Hawkeye. He's in both of those. I've been meaning to watch that. Is he, is Vincent D'Onofrio in Hawkeye? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it's the same guy. I like low-key love Vincent D'Onofrio. Apparently okay. he's very, very nice. I, I mean, I would imagine mm -hmm. like he's nothing like his actual character. No. <laughs> Typhoid Mary Fisk has been portrayed in the film Electra by Natasha Malte and by Alice Eve in the Netflix MCU series Iron Fist. As a character, she gave herself the alter ego of Mary Mallon. And I just thought that was kind of a fun little end to this section of like her that. impact. You know, yeah. we, we end on a positive note. Mm -hmm. All right. So what do we take away from Mary Mallon and her situation as typhoid Mary? I just feel like the medical world has a really hard time treating women. Because they don't listen to women? They don't listen. They don't do the proper research. Like a lot of things is framed under like what men do. Mm -hmm. And, the, and their test just, subjects are often men. Yeah. And like things just kind of get slightly adjusted for women based on whatever the diagnosis is for like men. And I think that's like an actual problem. Uh, and Mary's case is like a clear example of that. And of course things have gotten better, but in other ways, like they haven't. Women right. and especially women of color need to be able to speak up and advocate for themselves. Like always get a second opinion, always try and support female doctors. Like I use Zocda a lot and I'm always looking for like either a, definitely a woman, always a woman, but usually a person of color. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because those are the people who are more likely to listen to you because exactly. they're the ones who have had similar experiences mm -hmm. and understanding. And the more women and women of color doctors that are out there, the better chance we have of being represented exactly. in the medical field. And representation is super important. You know what else is important? Science. Yes. Science Listen, it may be imperfect, and scientists are always learning new things about the world around us. That's the beauty of science. Mm -hmm. But when they learn something and they share with the world, I'm just saying we should probably believe them. Yeah. Like washing your hands? Yeah, that. 
Very important. <laughs> Germs are a thing. Vaccine saves lives. So wash your hands and get vaxxed. Yes. We've got opinions. <laughs> We also have some resources and references in case you wanted to learn more on your own about this topic. There's one called Typhoid Mary Strikes Back, Bacteriological Theory and Practice in Early 20th Century Public Health. That is by Judith Walter Levitt. The Cook Who Became a Pariah by Anna Fernie. Mary Mallon, 1869 to 1938, and the History of Typhoid Fever. And that was the reference they made to the Annals of Gastroenterology. Mm. The Doctor Who Championed Handwashing and Briefly Saved Lives. That's from NPR's Morning Edition. That's the story I told about the uh, hospital in Vienna on the NPR website. You can listen to that. Yeah, and you should because mm -hmm. there's so much to learn beyond just what we're sharing with yeah. you today. So what did you think of the episode? Have you ever heard of Mary Mallon's full story before? Share your thoughts with us. Do you have any suggestions of women we should cover? Follow the podcast on Twitter at BigRepPod and Instagram and TikTok at BigRepputationsPod. Send us a message or email us at bigreputationspod at gmail.com. You know we want to include your thoughts in a future episode, so if you share them with us, we'll be sure to do so. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, your laundresses. <laughs> Wash your hands while you listen and subscribe and leave a five-star review. And don't forget the merch. The Redbubble link is in the show notes. It's also on our link tree. You can order a variety of items from masks to mugs to totes and T-shirt dresses. Ooh. And towels to dry your hands after you wash them. I don't think there were towels. Damn it. <laughs> but maybe. I'll double check. There should be. Sam, get towels on the website. <laughs> I don't think she has control over that. Damn. She just puts the logo up and they just decide All what products right. it goes on. Fair. But anyway. All right. Let's wrap up this episode. Kim, what do you have for us this week? So I don't have a quote from Mary because like, there's not a ton that... Yeah, it was mostly sad. Like, free me. <laughs> mostly her quotes. But I did find this thing about hand washing. So if you sing the chorus of Jolene by Dolly Parton, that takes about 20 seconds, which is the time that the CDC recommends you wash your hands for. And as always, believe women. Believe women.